What it do, fam? Welcome to another episode of The Myths That Make Us. Uh, the episode that we got today, I actually recorded probably about three or four weeks before going and doing ayahuasca and completely reconfiguring my goddamn destiny. Um, and it's with a man named Lucas Crump. And he is actually one of the founders of a men's group that's called Everyman. And it was a really amazing conversation because uh, at that time when I recorded this, I'd actually just started uh, working with a like men's group here in Austin. And it has been absolutely transformative. I've never in my life had had have had a space to intentionally um be held responsible to and be supported by men older than me ever. And it's a whole thing, but because of the way that my dad did his best for me growing up, I never really felt like I, like it was safe to rely on men. And I would tend to either take care of things myself or just not take care of the fucking thing. And there's something about specifically men, men's work and specifically women's work that a part of me resists because I think that there's enough overlap in the human condition that there can be something for every type of human. And I felt that way until I actually started doing this. And one of the things that I can feel into that feels important to articulate is something happens in the psyche of our biology. Something happens in our biology when we are in the presence of someone of the opposite gender. And I think that it has to do with hundreds of thousands or millions of years of evolution. And it just triggers certain programs and archetypes to come alive inside of us. And to the degree that that happens, I think that's where magic can happen when you intend to do the work with just the people of the same biology. Um, it's weird that even as I say this, this feels like it could be interpreted as controversial in 2021. But we'll see. Um, I think that that's a pretty sturdy premise that I just laid out there. But it's really interesting to see this work and then that I got the opportunity to talk to someone like this. And if you're interested in Everyman, uh, the link will be in the show notes. You should for sure check that out. But it was a great conversation. And it was the last one that I recorded before going down to Costa Rica. Um, and a special thing is going on in this intro today. Uh, this is officially the first time I'm going to promote any product. And it's because one of my close friends, a soul sister, she went and did ayahuasca a couple of months ago and got this super clear download for a business to start. And it's called The Journey Back to Soul. And essentially what she's doing is this like... um ceremony in a box type thing where depending on which one you get, you could get hape, which is a type of uh, tobacco powder that you um, blow up your nose 
and that might sound completely insane to some of you, but it's, it's one of my favorite ways to alter my consciousness, to bring myself into a place of what really feels like direct focus. Like when you come home from a long day of work, what we saw our parents do was you grab some alcohol or you eat a quote unquote snack, but really what you're doing is you're stuffing your face with glucose and carbohydrates, trying to shift your consciousness state to like step out of the, you know, alpha brainwave state that you've been in all day. Actually, it might be bit. No, I'm pretty sure it's alpha. Anyways, that doesn't matter. To have a really clean state change, I fucking love Hape. They also have Mambe. And Mambe is a, it's the powder of the actual co uh, coca leaf that is synthesized to make cocaine. And Mambe is um, considered a medicine in a lot of places in South America. And she has these materials, like she knows the actual people that are sourcing these materials. And it's fucking incredible. I would highly recommend that you go check out thejourneybacktosoul.com. If you're interested in getting a little kit to have like a morning ritual with yourself, uh, they also sell caripes, which are the little devices that you use to shoot that hoppe into your motherfucking nose. I use it every day. And um, it's one of my favorite ways to try to wrangle all the fucking weirdness that goes on in the psyche on a daily basis to try to bring it back into alignment. And as always, if you want to support this podcast, the best way for you to do so is to rate and review on iTunes, share it with people that you love. And if you haven't checked out the journaling course, go to my website, click on Make Your Myth, and see if it's for you. Um, I've had a lot of really good reviews from people, and I'm proud of it. I love you guys so much. Going to have some dope shit coming for you guys this year. And I love you. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for your adaptability again with me. Uh, we've been trying to make this happen for almost like five weeks now. And now it is finally here. It, it is here. I'm glad you're alive. And I'm glad you're doing this. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> it was touch and go for a minute. <laughs> 100%. To give the audience just a sense of who they're beginning to hear, uh, the question I like to start with is, let's say that you've just done something that puts you into flow, and then I come up to you after that, and I ask you, who are you and what do you do? What was the thing that you were doing that got you into flow? And then how would you answer those two questions? Who am I? I am... Um... I think first and foremost, I'm just, I'm me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm Lucas. I'm a guy on this, on a journey of discovery, curiosity of, of, of life. Um, what got me into this moment of where I am today was my own, my own curiosity, my own sort of desire to go and discover the world, but at the same time, not accept my own reality. Um, mm. you know, I, I, there's been various forks in the road and I'm very grateful for one of my mentors told me once do the things that scare you the most. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, 
you know, I've taken that, I've taken that to heart and that's what's led me into this moment right now. What do you do to acquire security tokens in our culture? You know, so what is your profession? Uh, my profession, I'm a community builder. Um, at present, I'm the, I'm the co-founder, um, of every man. Every man is a men's wellness organization. We're a community, we're a movement. We are a collective of, of open, open-hearted, like-minded men um, that are all focused on personal growth, self-exploration, emotional and personal development. Um, and I, uh, through my own desire to, through my own need, <laughs> my right. own sort of, um, you know, my own to, to, to make sense of my own existence and my own pain and suffering, I came to, to be involved in every man. And now it's, it's my life. It's everything that I do, um, every day. But yeah, I mean, I, I, what I, what I do every day is I build this community. Yeah. I love that. How would your best friend describe you and what you do in the world? <laughs> I think my best friend, it's, it's interesting because it, it depends on which best friend that you have. When you, when you, you know, when you get involved with, and you build a community of men, you have lots of friends, you have lots of brothers, yeah. um, you have lots of fathers, you have lots of teachers. So I have a lot of, 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 of good friends of best friends. Um, and I think each one of them would say something differently about me. But I think one thing that they would all say is, Lucas is exactly who he is. That's beautiful. How would your fiance describe you and what you do in the world? Uh, <laughs> she would say he is. <laughs> wow. It depends on what day. It depends on what day it is. And it depends on what, what error I have made that day. Um, but for the most part, she would say, she would say exactly that. Lucas is following his passion. Lucas is doing what he wants to do in the world and he shows up exactly who he is. And in terms of what I do as a profession, I build community. Um, yeah. And that can, and the intention behind that community is to support men in their, in their development, in their emotional development and their mental wellness, emotional wellness. Um, yeah. How would your father describe you and what you do? Um, well, my father's passed, and um, I, I had a difficult relationship with my father. Um, you know, I think it's not a coincidence of of the fact that I do this work, um, <laughs> because my 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 deepest wound is my relationship with my father. Yeah, mm, I think what my father would say about me is. Lucas is curious. Lucas is persistent. Mm. How would your mother describe you and what you do? Mm. My mom would say that I have a big heart mm. and that I care deeply and that I'm doing exactly what I should be doing in this world. And how would that thing that some people call spirit or God or source, how would that thing describe what Lucas is and what Lucas is doing? 
I think Lucas, I think that spirit would say Lucas is living his, his, his greatest virtue is highest power. Um, he is, uh, he's living his life in service. Um, and that service comes from living that life of service comes from having a life of disservice and dishonesty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think spirit would look at me on my hero's journey and recognize that I'm on that journey. So what I love and what I hear is that you clearly have at least done one full hero's journey cycle where you have recognized what is your medicine to give back and that you're doing it. You can take as long as you need to, but I would love to hear, how would you tell the story of your journey, of your first hero's journey that brought you to the realization of what your medicine is? And again, take as long as you'd like. Start from the beginning. Once upon a time, Lucas was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that question because um, I think that everybody has a hero's journey and there, there's so much wisdom in, in Campbell's words and his teachings. And I think that we've gotten to a place in, the, in, in our world where we you know, we don't have, we, we don't have a respect. We don't have an understanding for, you know, our elders. And, and, and from a, from a male perspective, sometimes we don't, we don't respect the, the men and the lineage that came before us. And so I think there's so much wisdom in, in a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think the sooner that we recognize that we all have a hero's journey, it's, it's, it actually allows us to understand self who we are and who our existence is and make sense of the suffering that we've endured. I'm getting goosebumps. Completely agree. (laughs) My journey is, um, I was born in Kansas. Um, and you know, my mom was, uh, you know, my mom married the guy on the other side of the tracks. Um, and, um, that guy was charming. Um, but he was also, uh, deeply flawed, um, not by his own doing, but by, uh, mental health. Um, my father, my father was bipolar. Um, and so from a very young age, I was exposed to the, the, the impact of mental health uh, on, on oneself. Um, at a very young age, I, you know, my father would, would go between rage and joy. Um, you know, I I grew up in, you know, I was one of four, four kids. Um, I had a, an incredibly loving mother, but I also had a mother that, you know, was the victim of, of domestic violence and abuse. Um, and that, that abuse would spill over into, into, into me. Um, and you know, the start of my hero's journey was just realizing that like my hero's journey was going to be on my own. Um, my father, you know, I think from a biological perspective, there is something that, that exists between, um, a boy and his father. Um, and unfortunately the relationship that I had with my father was, um, was fractured at a very young age. Um, and so I, I didn't look to my father to take care of me. 
I looked to my father as somebody that I didn't want to be like. Yeah. Um, and that was the beginning of my journey. Um, the next steps of that journey were learning, you know, how I could care for myself and take care of, um, take care of myself and make sure that I was okay. Right. Um, so my parents divorced at a young age. I, I went to an all boys Jesuit school. Um, my mom happened to be the lunch lady there. Uh, that's why I was able to go there. And that was, that was, uh, you know, that impacted me deeply, but it also, I also knew that my mother was, my mother was at that school, um, and did that job because she wanted to care for me and my two brothers that, that had the opportunity to also go there. But it was also where I first got exposed to men and working with men and, and, and having that experience. Um, after college uh, is really when I started a big part of my journey was I left America. Um, I moved overseas. Uh, I ended up going to Europe and then I was, was in Africa. Um, I lived in Uganda and Egypt, spent some time in the Caribbean, um, ended up in, in Southeast Asia. I lived, lived in Bangkok, Thailand for five years. Um, and that was really, you know, if I think about, if I think about Campbell's journey, that was like my, you know, I, I sort of was like, you know, going and seeing the world, right. That was my call to adventure, if you will. Um, you know, and that call to adventure is what is probably one of the biggest teachers for me. Um, when I was living abroad, I, I, I really started to feel deeply disconnected and lost Mm. in many ways. Me running away from Kansas, running away from the pain and suffering of my upbringing and, and the relationship that I didn't have with my father and everything. Like I just, I just wanted to run away from it. Um, and when I ran away from it, the further I got, the more alone and lost I felt. Yeah. Um, and what I learned how to do when I was living abroad was disconnect my head and my heart, um, mm. and numb it out. Yeah. And, and, um, when you're living in, in Thailand, numbing out generally means drugs, alcohol, sex, adventure, extremes of, of any, of, of all kinds. Um, and that worked until it didn't work. And eventually, right. um, you know, eventually I couldn't sort of disconnect my head and my heart anymore. Actually, when I was living abroad, my, my grandfather passed away, my grandfather, my grandmother passed away. And then my father passed away all in about a four year period. Um, and I told myself that that part, that that was going to happen when I was abroad. So I didn't go to the funeral. Um, and I just simply buried the emotion further and further down, um, until I couldn't keep it down anymore. Um, you know, and can you share what that moment was the moment when you really felt I can't run from this anymore? Like, can you tell that story? Yeah. I was, um, it was interesting when I was living overseas, I actually had left Thailand already. And I was moved, I moved to Singapore. Um, and I was in business school at the time. And I was, I can remember being in Shanghai, China and getting a, a Blackberry message from my sister, um, who said, dad's dead. And I was like, Oh, it was about fucking time. And I just went back to eating my dinner and I went to school the next day and 
one of my classmates asked me how I'm doing. And I said, oh, my dad's dead. And he, and I'll never forget the look on his face of just being like, why the fuck are you here? And, you know, and if I look back on that moment, it was like the alarm was sounding, but I didn't hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, and about six weeks later, I was in Singapore um, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like a volcanic eruption had had occurred in my heart. Like the most, like as if a nuclear bomb of emotion had exploded in my heart. Yeah. And the, the feeling was so extreme and so intense um, that in that very moment, I actually thought maybe I should take my own life. Maybe that would be the path out. Not because I was necessarily, you know, depressed or something, just of like, wow, I don't know how to deal with this overwhelming feeling of emotion. Um, and so thankfully I had the wherewithal to walk out in the middle of the street. Um, I got into a, a taxi, a Singaporean taxi, and it said, take me to the hospital. And the guy looked at me and said, what's wrong? And said, I said, I don't know. I walked into the emergency room in Singapore and the woman said, uh, why are you here? I said, I don't know. And the next day I woke up in a Singaporean mental hospital. Um, wow. and, uh, it was a it was a very real moment. It was a moment of you know, I'll never forget just waking up and looking around, and just being like, "What?" It, it had seemed like the last ten years of my life was a blur yeah. in that moment, um, you know. And that was sort of that was the death. That was the death of me thinking that I was, <laughs> you know, inhuman. Of thinking that I could like stuff it all away that I was, you know, it was, it was a part of my ego that was literally being, uh, destroyed in front of me. And from that point I had to rebuild. Um, and I started to rebuild and I actually made the decision to move back to the, to the States after that, just knowing that like I had to be closer. I could not, I can remember for about a week when I was in Singapore, because they wouldn't let me out. I just, I walked on a, on a track um, outside and just chanted, um, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. This too Whoa. shall pass for about a week. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, eventually I went home and, uh, I moved to New York city and I started over, um, at 31, 32 years old, having had a, you know, successful career overseas. I was, a, you know, I was, a worked in the media industry and, you know, had, had achieved quite a bit in a, in a short period of time. And when I moved to New York city, it was, it was the start of the next journey yep. because <laughs> I had this deep realization that like, wow, I have never, like, I don't know how to do this. I went from Kansas at 21 years old to living and working overseas, traveling to, you know, 70, 80 countries, um, living a life that was so disconnected from reality for so long and not actually learning a, a lot of the <laughs> sort of etiquettes and skills and sort of basic things. You know, I'd never worked in, in really an office full, you know, with you know, like just normal people. Like I didn't, I didn't even know how to do it. Uh, you know, my office right. was in Thailand. It was, it was, it was just very, very different experience. Um, 
and when I moved to New York City, that was the start of of this next journey. And that journey was I, I joined a technology company, and you know, very quickly, um, you know, benefited from from the growth that came with that. And I was making money, and I was, you know, having a good time in New York City, doing drugs, chasing women, and you know, it, it worked until it didn't work. At thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just a company that I was working for had just been acquired. Um, I made some money and I had girlfriends and had all this, you know, had what I thought was a good life. I, I, I had, I had everything that I thought I should have as a man to make me happy. And I couldn't be, and I wasn't, I was so unhappy. I didn't know what to do. And could we zoom in on this moment? And could you tell us the story of this second realization when you were 37, where you really understood, oh, this is not the way either. Like, can you tell that story of that moment? Yeah. Um, it, it had been building for quite some time. And As it to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that there's a, I read a statistic about men that, you know, it takes about 10 years for between a, a man realizing that he has something that he should address and him actually doing anything about it. And I'm like, wow, let me, so let me think about it. It's like, Oh, I have a splinter in my arm. Um, it hurts. I don't do anything about it. It gets infected. I start drinking to numb it out. And then eventually they're like, Hey man, we're going to have to amputate. And it's like, what is it? What is it within us that does it, does that to ourselves? <laughs> um, but I was on a similar path. You know, I, I, in in New York City, I I I was there's so much truth in the fact that like it is a lonely place. Yeah, you know, it was deeply lonely. I was chasing um, success. I was chasing um, you know career sort of acknowledgement. Uh, you know, I was chasing approval and acceptance from my peers and from you know, a father figure that I didn't have. Um, I was chasing money to provide safety and security. And all along the way, I was hurting people around me. Um, you know, I was, you know, drugs and alcohol and, you know, my, my ego was just so fucking inflated, you know, just kind of feeding on my own bullshit. Um, and I think the moment was really, Coming back, I, I had I had a bender weekend and uh, woke up in Midtown, New York City, and I just walked outside. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. It, it, I mean, it was, it, I, I you know maybe I wish it was more grandiose than it was, but it was really just this fucking moment of being like, this doesn't work anymore. Right. Like feeling like this and being this person in life doesn't work for me anymore. It is yeah. so, it is so fucking far removed from my values and my morals and my in my self that I can't wear that mask anymore. Yeah, and, and that's when it, you know it was interesting. I I my parents were in Arizona and I called my mom. I was like, Mom, I need to see a therapist. You know, and I think what what's interesting is I, I followed kind of a similar, you know humans people have this you know one sort of relationship with a therapist like you treat you treat it like confession i was like okay great let me go 
uh, mom, find, let me go to come down to Arizona for the weekend and I'm, find me a therapist that I can go confess all my sins to. Um, yeah. and that'll make me feel better. Right. Yeah. Um, and she's like, okay. And so I walked into the therapist and the therapist said to me, you know, you got a hole in your heart and no amount of drugs, alcohol, women, extremes, none of it is going to, not, none of that's going to fill that hole up until you start to grow yourself up. And in order for you to do that, you're going to have to create a community of men to help you to do that because you don't have a father. So you're going to actually have to be your own father and you're going to need to find other men that can help you as well. Wow. And in that very moment, I was actually fucking pissed Yeah, <laughs> because I was pissed at my dad. Cause I was like, man, like my dad, you know, fucked me up, you know, as a kid and then, um, died. And now like I have to do his work that he didn't do. <laughs> But in that moment was when I, you know, I started the, the, the second part of the journey. And that, that journey was really like, you know, crossing the threshold, bringing back the gifts. Right. Um, and that's when I, that's when I found every man. And are you at a place now where you can see that the uh, inadequacies of your father and the woundings that he brought literally delivered you to your life calling? I'm at a place where I can, my conscious mind is able to understand that <laughs> right? And, and, and rationalize that and know that my deepest wound, my lowest self is actually my highest self and my deepest calling. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the boy in me still wants a dad, right? The, the boy in me still wants somebody to tell me how to do it right. to, yeah. um, you know, tell me that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, my dad was not bipolar, but he didn't show up. And I could feel that as a child that like, I, my recurring dream actually as a child was, um, <clears throat> I was in a car driving up a mountain and I was in the passenger seat and I could feel that my dad was in the driver's seat and then I would look over and he would be gone. And I would feel this deep sense of like fear, like I'm not adequate. I, I can't drive the car. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents got divorced when I was 10 and my dad moved out. And um, part of the work that I've done, you know, is also realizing the boy in me did not have the father that he wanted and that a boy should have. Mm -hmm. And that um, my one of the primary reasons I do the self-work on myself is the commitment to give to my children, who I have not conceived yet, mm -hmm. the father that I wish I had had. And that's why I do the work to become the, the type of man that can give that to them. And it it helps carry the burden, you know, because there is a burden when yeah. you don't have a father that can serve as a mentor. And that is something that is deeply. And when does that show up for you? When is it, when, when, in what moments does that, does that reality really hit home for you? The felt sense of not having had the father. Mm -hmm. Um, 
when I went and did ayahuasca for the first time on the plane, um, I hadn't digested any media for a couple of weeks. And um, I watched, I picked a movie of the like nine movies that were pre-programmed into the plane. And one of them was the new version of The Lion King. And The Lion King was my favorite movie growing up. And uh, every scene between Mufasa and Simba, where Mufasa showed up for Simba as a kingly father, I just wept on the plane. I'm sitting next to a man that doesn't speak English and this tall white dude is just weeping on the plane. And it was so clear to me that the primary work that was going to be before me in the four nights of drinking ayahuasca was this. And it's that feeling fully that the little boy inside of me weeps at seeing examples of a kingly father and not having it. Um, that's probably the point in my life that I felt it most deeply. The first echo that was about nine months before that was I read the book Iron John by Robert mm -hmm. Bly. Have you read that? Mm -hmm. As I was reading the chapter about um, men absorb the mana of their fathers and that that's the thing that raises men or that raises boys is the felt mana, I just started crying onto the page. And it surprised me because I was in denial about the fact that uh, I have a father wound. Mm -hmm. And I also had a very intense couple of dreams as I read that book that was very clearly showing me that my psyche was asking me, like, you've got to be the father to the boy mm -hmm. inside of you. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been the mantra of this year for me that I got from ayahuasca was Mufasa, your Simba. And so the big call this year has been to cultivate the practice specifically through doing parts work. Are you familiar yeah. with him? Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Dr. That's probably why uh, Joey Dr. Told Dr. Richard Schwartz. Yeah. He was, um, he was actually just on one of our uh, Everyman Global calls. Um, Beautiful. And yeah, it's powerful. What I have found is this year, um, I've done a lot of work through journaling to talk mm -hmm. to the king talking to the boy. And I've given my inner boy a name. His name is Sol, S-O-L. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have a picture from when I was like five on my phone that represents my inner boy that I actually just looked at last night. <laughs> and uh, he's this cute fucking kid. He's holding a bowl of blueberries. He's, he's in a super oversized white shirt. And he just looks so like attentive. And like what I can also feel in his face in that picture is like, he is just openly waiting for a father like mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. one of the things that i can really feel from that so and, and what does it feel like for you to to be the father of that little boy inside you like what 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 is that feeling it feels sacred and empowering and uh like i get to experience a love that happens in me between the father and the boy that is like actively healing me in a way that um, I can feel affects how I show up for every human. Like <clears throat> I've had moments this year where I'm weeping and I'm looking in the mirror in, the, in my own eyes and I'm saying as the father to the boy that's crying because it's the boy that's crying. Like, I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a good job. I see you. 
keep going. You can do it. And it feels healing, but also it's heavy. Like, I've... I actually have just like been initiated. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. It's not, you know, it's not plant medicine. It's not, you know, it's not flow states. It's it's deep and real, primal, authentic. It's from the heart. It's that, it's the love that we truly, truly need to receive. It's like, it's the purest part of us. 100%. And what feels so beautiful about this podcast finally happening is that uh, literally this past weekend, I got invited to a group of men who are starting a local community of to do men's work. Amazing. And I'm the youngest one that got invited. And, I, and a part of me didn't feel like, why am I invited here? Like these, right. and like, but I can feel that it's an opportunity for me to be around fathers. Like, mm-hmm these men are about 10 or 15 years older than me. And I can feel the opportunity that if I'm vulnerable, I can actually like, I've never allowed myself to be small enough or humble enough to be received by a man in a fatherly way. Mm -hmm. And that has slowly changed the last two years, but the two men that have been like the biggest mentors in my life, they call me brother and, and, and we respond to each other like brothers. I can feel that there's an opportunity in this group for me to allow father energy into my mm-hmm. life from other men. Where And I'm, I'm just having this insight now, man. So I appreciate you holding the space and asking yeah. these questions is that... I actually have the opportunity to receive fatherly mana from other men. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think one of our struggles in our culture today is like we, we are lacking rituals. We are lacking yes. um, institutions that bring us together. Um, you know, we are lacking, you know, you know, what are sort of commonly known as rites of passages. Yes. Uh, and But what we do is we default to thinking that those rites of passages have to look like the rites of passages as before. Interesting. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I don't need, you know, traditional Native American culture, uh, boys would go out and, and they would hunt or they would go out and, and you know, kill their first um, deer and, and obviously go through the process of, of, of the ritual around that. Right. And that was a rite of passage, but that also was a very important skill. Right. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily uh, out of necessity need to go out and kill an animal for my rite of passage. And I don't need to recreate a rite of passage that isn't necessarily authentic and real for my net, for my need right now. Interesting. And what, what what I mean by that is like we have rites of passages as men that are upon us every single day mm. that we're not necessarily open to seeing as a rite wow. of passage. Yeah. And so what you're you're telling me is like you're actually experiencing a rite of passage. You have endured a level of pain and suffering and self-actualization and realization that has now opened you up to the opportunity to then receive that that father energy and that connection, which is a rite of passage. You're moving, you know, uh, there's an interesting, 
there's somebody said to me recently, um, a spiritual teacher said to me, you know, boys are, boys are me and men are we. Whoa. I love that. At some point Mm. we move past the me and into the we and men recognize and know and acknowledge that they can't do it alone, that they have to do it together. That's why men's, that's why men's groups, men's circles, men's communities exist because we truly are stronger together. And we like the way that sounds, you know, in in a speech (laughs) or on an email, but we actually don't know what that means. Yeah. It's hard because, because in reality, most of us are really just focused on the me. How many likes did my Instagram post get in, you know, how fucking awesome am I going to be today? Because unfortunately our culture creates the need for us to worry about me before the we. And for me personally, like what I was taught as a child is you can't depend on men. Exactly. That's a huge thing that I feel that I'm going to be invited to release over the next year as I'm a part of this group. Yeah. Um, one of the, you know, my mentor and, and really the, the man in, in many ways that, that, you know, planted the seeds of every man, uh, Owen Marcus, um, Kawhi has been doing this work for, for 30, 30, 30, 40 years. He wrote a book called wow. grow yourself up. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and through my other co-founder of every man, Dan Doty, um, who sat in a group with, with Owen, my life intersected with Owen. Um, and you know, it, it, it wasn't at all a coincidence, <laughs> but it also wasn't a coincidence that I wasn't ready pre prior to, to that moment. I had to actually go through the healer's journey. Yeah. I had to endure the pain and suffering to open up my heart. When the student is ready, the master appears. Mm-hmm. 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 And I and I can feel that at the point in my life that I'm literally arriving at days ago. So this podcast is absolutely perfect. It's beautiful. And and the other thing that I think you you touched on it, but it's something that I really believe in and champion is like I think we have to as a as a culture we have to recognize that that father wound exists yeah. in a lot of men. Yeah. And, and I say that not from a place of judgment, but a, from a place of acknowledgement. Yeah. Our fathers and the fathers before them were not necessarily taught to to father and to parent, and and the worlds and the and that that they were living in didn't necessarily give them the the uh, capacity and abilities to uh, and the awareness to prevent those wounds. Um, and we're now at a place where, you know, the, the crisis of men is upon us. (laughs) Um, we've seen the impact of it. We're open to, to acknowledging that it exists. The research exists, but we have to also look at that and say, Hey, this, this stops here. This stops with this generation of men, this current generation. We can actually teach ourselves how to be better men 
and effectively become better fathers and change that trajectory that that was before us, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that has really been resonating with me um, the last year probably is our culture, if you look at it as a single psyche, it feels like what we have is a over-representation of the wounded masculine. And one of the primary functions of the wounded masculine is to suppress the sacred feminine because mm-hmm. it challenges it and scares it. And it feels like a part of the work to really step into being a conscious man is to allow the rise of the feminine both inside of us and externally. Because my big area of interest is mental health. And it feels like our cultural approach to mental health, which is fundamentally not working, and the research on that is super clear and it's devastating, is that... As a culture, we have disconnected ourselves from the feminine, which the essence of that is the intuition, which is the essence of the body. And it feels like what our normal cultural unfolding is for mental health is, if you feel something you don't want to feel, numb it. Mm -hmm. And that to me feels like a micro perfect exemplification of the macro, which is cut off the feminine, cut off the intuition, cut off the feeling. And it feels like a big part, at least for me, of why I want to step in fully to being a conscious man is so I have the internal resources to allow the feminine to rise. And that feels like that's a part of the deep call for me. Because something that I see, man, is there's a lot of people or a lot of men are drawn to men's work. And one of the symptoms of the men's work is a hatred or a just a fundamental judgment of females and it becomes tribal against our other half because each of us are feminine and masculine. And that feels like that's one of the symptoms of the shadow part of the men's work that I've seen. Very much so. And I think, you know, men's work is a, um, is a, is a loose term Mm. for a, a, a cocktail of different modalities and movements and all of these different things, you know, whether it be, you know, Robert Bly or David Data, the way of the superior man or, or Jungian psychology and shadow work and, you know, somatic awareness, there's all of these things. And, and the, the collective of all of those different modalities has been sort of retrofitted to heal the wounds that men are experiencing under the guise of a, of the, of a men's movement, which I, which I believe in, but I also know that there is a lot of toxicity within men's work. And one of the things that we've really focused on doing and, and, and really, you know, Owen Marcus, um, in, in, you know, all the men that are involved in, in every man, Dan Doty and, and um, are, are focused on really what it, what's the underlying root cause. And I think one of the things that you're talking about is that, um, is, is that emotional awareness, that, that oppression of our emotion um, and looking at how do we actually tap into that right. and use that as a superpower and do that in the context of men. Yeah. Um, 
because I like I hundred percent agree with you. Like it, it is very quick. You know, when it, when I say, oh, well, we have all you know, we do men's groups, right? And we have a specific methodology that we use at, at, that every man is our it's our pedagogy that supports the efficacy of the men's work that we do. Right. But there's an immediate response to think, well, why can't women participate in that? You know, <laughs> and right. it's and it's you know the there's an immediate backlash, but it's actually like the response is that we men need to do our work over here. Right. So that we can we show to, up. So that we can show up. But one of the core tenets is that we actually have to know what is the work that we're doing and how we're doing it and, and, and have it be structured in a way that actually supports us in a healthy way. Right. And there's very deep wisdom that we can extract from looking at the past that every culture that has had initiation rituals, the men do it for the boys and the women do it for the daughters or for the girls. And then they get to come together after a a new reborn or born again. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions that arose while you were talking is, I would love to hear the story that exemplifies meeting the mentor. So when you met um, the man that helped you birth every man. Can you kind of share the story of like the meeting and then the recognition that this man is a mentor? Uh, that's a great one, question. I mean, I met Dan Doty, who was the mentor of, um, a mentee of, of Owen Marcus. Um, we were actually at a, uh, at a conference waiting to in line to see Esther Perel. Um, <laughs> Awesome. And, 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 it, and it was just so ironic that, you know, I turned to Dan and he had a, he had a name tag that said man camp and I was man camp. And, and immediately we connected, you know, around that he invited me to a retreat that him and Sasha Lewis were, were putting together. They'd sat in a men's group for a long time. Um, By I the way, was, that's a really smart idea to write as your name tag, the, work that you perform because it, it will force them to ask what is that smart well, man to- to- totally totally <laughs> um, you know and then um you know this i went to i had i went to this first retreat and i in my own my hero's journey my own suffering had started six months prior to that moment and i you know one of the the things that you know that the, the therapist that I saw at the time said, he was like, look, you need to find a community, better community of men. Um, and he, and he also said to me, you need to stop doing drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so I originally went to do, uh, I originally went to 12 step and I was really impacted by the depth of the community and the depth of the men that I was meeting there in, in that community. But I wasn't connecting with the, the, the story and the suffering of the individual in, in the 12 step program. Um, and so I started to look around of like, where is a community of men? Um, and, it, and I was on that exploration and that's when my path crossed with Dan. Of course. Um, and at the, at this first retreat, I can remember being deeply impacted by the experience, but also being deeply impacted by the impact that this was having on other men because prior to when i was in southeast asia i when i you know yes i was 
you know, disconnecting my head and my heart and I was suppressing my, uh, my feelings and my immediate response was like, Oh, I need to go to a therapist. Well, the, 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 the crazy thing was in, you know, Asia, Southeast Asia therapy, you know, it's, it's not like you can just go find a, um, English speaking therapist in Bangkok. Um, so I had to actually go and look around for, you know, different types of modalities, right? That's when I was introduced to meditation and, and, um, I did different, um, spiritual retreats and self-explorations and all of these things. And so I'd already sort of been exposed to the, the different types of, of, of work that encompasses sort of men's work as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so I was very impacted by how this was impacting other men. And I also felt a deep, deep calling around looking at, at, at bringing this to more people. Right? right. And that is when, and then shortly after that, Owen Marcus wasn't actually at that first retreat. Um, but soon after that, I met Owen and it, it's just a feeling, you know, it's a feeling where I was telling this to my, my fiance the other day of like, the, the father feeling is like when so it's, it's, it's um, when somebody loves you and they're telling you, like I have men in my life that I don't have to listen to that can give me good advice, but I don't have to accept their advice. Right. A father figure gives you, uh, gives you care, gives you advice. And it comes from a place of deeper love of, of like, well, I can't actually ignore that. I can't mm. actually be so arrogant as to not listen to you because you're wiser and you're more, you're an elder. Um, and I've always related to Owen as an elder, um, you know, and I, and it's a connection, it's a depth of connection that is, is really felt. I, I can't necessarily put words into it. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is there's some types of men that a man meets where the felt sense is, I have to listen. Yeah. Where this man actually sees me and cares for me mm. and isn't telling me what I, he's not, he's not speaking to me because He's not placating me. He's sharing wisdom with me. Can you remember what the first thing that he shared with you? Like, so you meet him, you feel this feeling, you have an experience, and then at some point he offers the first loving piece of wisdom. Can you remember what the first thing is that he shared with you? They weren't. They weren't words. It was a. It was a mm. feeling. It was the monologue. Look. Yeah. The look. Yeah, it was really knowing that, and I really appreciate you taking me back there because it coming back to rites of passages. Um, you know, we often ask like, "When did you become a man?" And, and, and I'd love for you, I'd love to hear your answer. But you know, for me, mm -hmm. one of the first moments I knew I became a man was I knew I wasn't a man when I when my father hurt my mother and I couldn't necessarily do anything about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, I also knew I became a man when my father died and 
there was a realization that there's nobody above me. Even though I didn't have a good relationship with my father, um, you know, I hadn't talked to him for years. Um, just him simply dying meant that there was no one above me. And so the, the, the lineage is with me now. Mm. Um, and I am now caring for, for others. And I have that, I have that commitment. And I think the, the one of the first, that look that came from Owen was just knowing that, wow, this person has my back. Like they're yeah, not going to abandon me. They're not, they're, they're committed to me in, in a way that's not, that, that's deeper than just transactional. Yeah. And that's a feeling that we as men don't often get to experience in life. For sure. And it's one of the, it's why so many of us men actually walk alone. We are not intended to live like we are not supposed to be lone wolves. Right. We are actually right. supposed to be with a tribe, with a community. Yeah. But we often, our ego takes over and, you know, the, the, the fractured relationships that we have with our fathers. And with and our inability to connect with and create those relationships with other men because we don't have those, um, we don't have shared experiences which challenge us in a way that force us to come together means that we don't actually ever get to feel what it's like when somebody does have your back. So yeah. we are walking alone in this world that we're actually not supposed that we're actually not built from a biological, from a physiological level. We are not intended to, to operate in this world alone, but yet we do it. Yep. And as men, it's one of the cores of mental illness. Like what's mm -hmm. wild is one in four people report not having a single close friend mm -hmm. and loneliness is the most powerful cofactor for early death it's it is a higher predictor for early death than alcoholism than obesity than smoking a pack a day or in living in a place with a uh, high or severe air pollution mm -hmm. we are designed to be in community and what i have found in the research on this um, is that the number one thing that causes loneliness is not not being around other people. It's not feeling seen. Mm -hmm. And the essence of feeling seen is, are you vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Does someone have your back when you express the truth? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting phrase, I've got your back, because what's super interesting is since being a part of this men's group for just literally six days, I've heard two men tell me, I've got your back. And the feeling that I feel in my body, when I feel that from a man that feels capable, whom I believe, there is this relaxation that happens in my physiology that I don't feel in any other context. And there's something about 
that phrase, the energy it conveys, and it feels like it's not a coincidence that you've said that multiple times now. Mm. It's not. Here's the hack, though, and this is the thing that is, because I love what you said about mental health, and I think what we, you know, we, the behavioral healthcare industry has done an incredible job convincing us that human emotion is is a mental health condition. Like right. Eric said, you know, Eric says I'm sad. My response is, oh, I know a great therapist, right? And then all of a sudden, now we're 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 treating the resting state of the human condition as as a as a mental health issue. Right. It, it's not right. What we see is you're you're absolutely you know correct around connection and the need for connection but what's core to creating connection is vulnerability and the ability to actually connect with ourself connect with our emotional state right feel what we're feeling yeah express that to another individual from a place of of safety right not fear, right? Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score. talks about, you know, as, as long as we keep, you know, as long as we keep it inside us and we suppress this, that, that, that is toxic. It's eating our insides. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and so we actually have to express that. But if you move into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. Are, are, what's, what's fascinating is, we, you know, our basic needs are already met as humans, right? We have food, we have water, we have air, right? Our next need is safety. Safety in a traditional, like, you know, if we look at evolutionary biology, safety is like, oh, I'm, I'm safe from not being eaten by a tiger, right? Well, you're definitely not going to get eaten by a tiger today, but are you safe to actually express how you feel? Are you safe to express what's actually going on for you? And if you are not ever safe with yourself or with another man or with anybody to actually communicate what's going on for you, you are never going to be able to create that connection and be seen and felt in the way that actually nourishes you and provides you the nutrient that, that, that nourishes us, that, that supports our mental and emotional health. We're so starved from that. And, and what we, you know, there's actually a, you're probably aware of this, but alexithymia is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a psychological condition in which we're literally, our emotional capacity is actually atrophy. Right. Um, Meaning that we are feeling less, we are numbing out. We know wow. that because we're using less words to actually describe our emotional experience. Whoa, interesting! That gave me goosebumps. Right, and so we are not feeling as much as we used to, and so this muscle, this superpower that we have, which is our emotional capacity, which is the only thing that is actually fucking sacred in this world, <laughs> because. Robots can do things for us, and AI can now figure out how to make decisions for us. The only thing, you know, the only thing Amazon hasn't figured out how to do was to feel, 
right? Mm. It's the only thing that's sacred of it, and we're actually losing it mm. because we're not practicing it. We're not connecting. Because one of the things that we see that's happening is we're technology is like faking us out. We're feeling like we're connected to people, but we're really mm. not. We're, we're sort of gorging on, you know, likes and uh, you know, empty calories, FaceTime, and all these other things. But we're not actually slowing down sitting together with other humans expressing deeply how we're feeling and receiving the connection that comes with that. And Amen. we have to actually create space to be able to do that. People ask me what every man is. Every man is a space. It's a training. It is the, it is the gym of the future. You come here to actually practice developing that emotional capacity creating a connection and nourishing your body so that yeah. you can so that you can actually go out into the world and be fucking human. Yeah, a question that comes up that feels powerful um, and I'm curious is, can you tell the story of the first moment that you realized that every man was doing something? Like that moment where you're like, oh, this is, this is real. This is a thing. Like just to give an example, um, I'm a part of a group called Fit for Service, and mm -hmm. we had an event in Sedona a couple of months ago. And I just had this moment where I was kind of on the outskirts, and I was watching a bunch of people go through breath work, and I was just looking at the night sky, and I just had this moment of like, it is happening here, now, and it just it felt it felt divine. I'm curious, what was that first time that you had that feeling at an Everyman event? And can you tell that story? I mean, it gives me goosebumps because it, 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 in, in, yeah, I had that moment every day. I had one of those <laughs> moments last night. Yeah. Uh, um, um, I think what, uh, I truly believe that service is the greatest, is the true wealth in this world. Completely. And I think part part of the man's hero's journey is to actually go out and, and pillage and get all the, the riches and the wealth and all of these things, only to come home and find out that actually what what makes him happiest is to be able to to care for others, to show love, to show empathy. I mean, love and empathy are the medicine for 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 our own love, empathy, service, that is our medicine. Yeah. It's, you know, people, it's, it's always fascinating. I mean, people are like, wow, I feel really, really good. I mean, my everyman group is amazing. Like, I don't always want to go to it every week, but what, after I'm finished with it, like, <laughs> God damn, I'm so glad that I went to it. It's like, yeah. Cause it yeah. feels good to connect with and be in service to others. Um, to your point, to your question, I, I show up, you know, I work on, I had a, I had a, a full-time job when every man started and two years ago, I, I left that to, to, to do this work and work on this every single day. Yeah. Um, and every man is a social enterprise. You know, I fundamentally believe that we, that to, to truly, you know, one of our missions is to reach a million men. We think if we reach a million men, the, 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 the trickle down of that has enough impact to truly shift our culture and our society. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I sort of draw upon my, my business background to say, okay, I, we need to, uh, we need to 
operate certain elements of what we do in a, in a as a business so that we have the rigor and the discipline that actually allows us to scale and reach as many people as we can. Um, that's fundamentally core um, to what we do. Um, but I don't believe I, every man for me, I am, I'm the, you know, I and the men that, that work on this, you know, organization own Marcus Dan Doty, you know, like and anybody that, that comes to this is like, we're the, we're the custodians of it. Like we're the custodians of this spirit. That is this, this collective movement of consciousness of, of emotional, mental, you know, growth and development for men. Um, the moment that I felt that I was really doing something was actually when my younger brother, um, we were at a retreat in 2018 and, uh, I, I saw my younger brother was there. Um, and I watched him energetically like shed a skin, shed a layer of our, of of his individual struggle and our collective family struggle. Mm. Um, and it was a moment that I'll, that I'll never forget. It was a moment that it was like, I finally actually felt I, 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 I saw him as a different man. Yeah. And he saw me as a different man. Um, and, and yeah, and it, it, that was the moment. And it, you know, yeah. And, and, and now those moments happen every day. I talked to a man <laughs> last night, 67 years old. Um, yeah. He said to me, I've been looking my whole life for every man. It's like, why the hell I didn't, I know that this thing existed. Yeah, This has changed my life in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jeff from Michigan, 67 years old. And, and like, you know, the pandemic, this COVID situation in many ways, it's, you know, it, it's been a powerful catalyst for us. It's a collective awakening, a conscious you know, awakening our conscience of us saying like, you know what, the way we're doing things is not working. Right. You know, it's a pattern disrupt in a major way. Um, and you know, we had to actually shift quickly shift and do, we had a sort of plan for doing more things online and, right. and we, sh- we shifted very quickly to that. And it's been incredible to see how our work is now accessible to so many more men. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look at every day as day one. <laughs> yeah. You know, every man, in my mind, every man hasn't even started. Mm. It really hasn't even started. I mean, there's yeah. over a billion men in this world and they could all use this work in some way. We could all be better off if we were, uh, if we all, showed up in the world feeling like somebody had our back, you know? I would like to ask, what would a Everyman event, or if you were able to do it in person, could you describe what it would look like? Um, 
And every man event is a journey and it would look like however you want it to look like. It is a, I think one of the most powerful things and one of the things that I'm personally most proud of is, and for any man that's listening out there, I would ask you, if you can feel like, take yourself to a place where you just get to show up and be exactly who you are with no mask, with no definition, with no markers of, of success or failure. Feel like what it would feel just to be able to show up in the world as just exactly who you are and be accepted for that. And not even asked, what do you do? Who are you? Feel the collective weight roll off your back Mm. and the freedom that comes with actually not having to be anybody other than who we are. That's the start of, of one's journey with every man, no matter where he enters, whether it's at one of our retreats, whether it's in our groups, you know, online or offline. It's a community where men can be exactly who they are. And that's when we actually get to, to, to start this journey towards self. Yeah. I think what, you know, what, what you would do in the weekend at every man is you would get really real with yourself and you would, you would have the space to actually connect with yourself and feel what you haven't felt before, feel what other men are feeling, see and know and acknowledge that you're not alone, that, you know, we're, we're so funny as guys, we're so, we're so arrogant. We think we're special, right? Mm-hmm. We're all the fucking same. You know, it's a, it's a different, you know, it's different shades of the same color in some ways, you know, it's, 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 it's the same meal on every plate, just a different configuration of the food, Mm. you know? Um, and there's a certain sense of, of calm and knowing and getting to show up in that space and getting to have that opportunity to explore who we really are and be accepted for that. Cause it's something that doesn't actually happen in our everyday life. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about and we really focus on it, you know, our, our, our effort is towards men becoming self-led men. Mm. You know, part of the human condition is actually wanting somebody else to, to, to do it for us. We, (laughs) we, we, we want to take the pill. We want to do the medicine. We want to, uh, go to the guy that has all the answers, right? The way out is in like, we have all of the answers. We, we have the capacity and the ability to lead ourselves. We just have to be willing to, we just have to be willing to listen to it. Amen. What is your vision of what it means or what a man is? To me, a man is a man knows when to 
knows what what arrow to pull from the quiver, mm-hmm. what what tool to use in the moment. He knows when to, you know, is it do I display love or do I display anger? Do I tap into joy? Do I tap into sadness? A, a man to me has the capacity to express the whole range of emotion and to tap into those those that that capacity of self and use it correctly in the moment. One of my favorite questions to ask is, um, let's say that you've accomplished what you have sought to do in your life and you know that at the end of this day, let's say you're 70 or 80 or 90, that you're going to die peacefully in your sleep. What will you have wanted to accomplish? So what have you done? Because you're this man now. And how would you want to spend that last day? Hmm. The greatest result for every man is that every man doesn't exist, that it puts itself out of business. Wow. Um, (laughs) You know, the the greatest, my, you know, my greatest contribution will, will be that, that we don't need, we don't need the work that we do. Um, so something that I want to offer just because I love the way the universe unfolds is that you articulating that vision perfectly corresponded with an alarm going off outside. <laughs> and what you? I find <laughs> what I find is that um, when we touch on a really powerful part of our psyche and we articulate it, it is met by what other people would call a coincidence in the external. And I just want to bring some awareness to the fact that you articulated that and an <laughs> alarm went off. Amazing. Um, thank you. And I, I love that question. I, I, I think about it often. You know, one of the things I was reflecting with a friend of mine recently was two years ago, I was, I was at a point in my career where I was, you know, poor kid in Kansas was making more money than he ever thought he, he would. And two years later, uh, I'm making no money. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it, and I would sit and I would do that job and I would look at it and I would think that that was the measure of my accomplishment, the measure of my success. Right. I'll let the alarms go by. Maybe they're, maybe they're, maybe they're sending us another message, but <laughs> But, but it's like I had to, I, I've had to actually climb to the top of the mountain to then to, to figure out that that actually doesn't bring the, 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 the sense of fulfillment and happiness that it does. Right. And I think that the path that I'm on now is finding out, well, what is that balance? <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, what, what is that balance? You know, and I think on my final day of, of, of life, I will have, I will have meant that. Like, how do I, how do I live a life of which I, which my needs are met, you know, from a, from a material aspect, 
and I can be of service and I can give back and I can contribute. Um, to me, it's a life of, of, of simplicity. Um, yeah. And if you could leave a single message on a piece of paper to your grandchildren on that night before you go to sleep, what would you write? So many. Do the things that scare you the most. Mm. And one of the things that that um, I tell myself often is just believe in the journey. Mm. I think that for my own self, you know, it's funny, like as humans and, and even me, like we're, we're so arrogant. Like we think that we have all the answers. We think that we have it all figured out. Like we don't. <laughs> like, you know, there were people, there were, there were men walking on this earth long before we were here and there will be men walking on this earth long after we're here. We're just here in this moment. And, um, just believe in the journey because the spirit has a way of, of guiding us. Amen. Lucas, thank you so much for what you do in the world, brother. I can feel that the work is evidence that it works and how you are. I really appreciate what you've created with every man. And I would love for you to share with people who feel called. How can they connect with every man? Um, everyman.com, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N. Um, there's not two E's because we couldn't afford the domain when it, when it came out. <laughs> uh, there's, no, there's no other story there. Um, everyman, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N. You can... Um, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, you can join a, you know, one of our groups, men's group, drop-in group. Um, follow us on the gram at Everyman. And uh, if you've got questions, you can message me, Lucas at Everyman.com. Thank you, brother. Thank you.